might have to hit a button or two. All right, there we go. Chris Berman, right there, I see you. You know what, Kenny? We can even say this on the air. I Don't you miss the days of phoners? I mean, just, you know, our picture here live on phone, and it's like up to the minute, and, you know, maybe it was a dial phone, rotary. I'm with you. I miss the old days in many ways. So I was going to do like this big introduction, but that worked well enough. He just showed up and he started talking. That's Chris Berman. <laughs> I'm in an audio booth in Hartford because I wanted to get better audio. That was the goal here. And then and then we hope the people like you. But you're right. When we were talking about doing this just the other day, I was like, what's wrong with just a phone? Don't people still call in by phone and phone? I mean, there's pretty good service nationwide, is there not? Yeah, I, I hope so. The phone call would normally work. At any rate, I'm showing I'm showing my 20th century bias, pal. Nice to be with you. We're roughly the same age. Don't you oftentimes miss your childhood and the technology we had? Because I, I thought I was pretty well informed. I followed the, the news, real news and sports from a very young age. My dad would make a shut up at six o'clock for Walter Cronkite. And, and we had three channels plus a couple, you know, those channels that didn't always come in. And you had the hue and the tint. And we got a newspaper in the morning and at night. And there's radio. And we were doing okay, weren't we? Yeah, we even had color TV. So um, I remember I'm a, I'm a little older than you. So I remember that, you know, like, oh, we got a color TV. So uh, we can watch The Wizard of Oz in color. Now I'm really dating myself. Although the Kansas scenes were in black and white, as I remember fair as it was in color but no no it was good but look without if, if we stayed in that world you and i wouldn't have had a job at espn so we shouldn't go that far back right that, that we're just we're just curmudgeons maybe the last 12 to 14 years yeah let's go back to the very beginning we're gonna be all over the place but but back to the beginning i'm in at unlv my junior year it's it's 1979 and I hear about this ESPN thing. And I think our apartment had cable and somehow we lucked out and got ESPN. And I played football. I was into sports all my life. And yet I remember my first thought of it was, who the hell wants 24-hour sports? Like, it's not, how's this ever going to work? I doubted the project. You, on the other hand, got in early. Do you remember your hire date? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I'm still, I'm the last of the Mohegans kind of um, so ESPN, Kenny, as you know, went on the air September 7, 1979. I was 24 in the area on TV in Hartford. I'm not going to go through all of the stuff. So I had interviewed right before they went on or had interviewed. And then they go, well, we're going to try to get on the air here and then we'll call you back. And then they hired me. So my first day was October 1, 1979. They said, um, we need a junior member. I'd been on TV all of three months, which, you know, was pretty good experience for ESPN at that time. It, <laughs> had they been on the air for a year or two, they never would have hired me off that. I had the Ron Burgundy look. You remember some of the pictures, the late 70s mustache and hair, and I wish I put some of that in a pillowcase or something. But they said, I don't know if I've ever discussed this with you, okay, Um we need the junior member. You're going to do the, the, the sign-off show, which in the very beginning it was. It's at 2.30 a.m. Well, but it is 11.30 on the West Coast. Okay. 
course, I live in Connecticut. I wasn't thinking about the winter in January, leaving the building at 4 a.m. in a snowstorm. But they said, um, we'll pay you 16000 I went, wait a minute, to do sports every night, like a half hour or 15, 20 minutes, whatever we were doing right out of the gates. Okay. Uh, how about, I tell you what, you don't have to move me because I live here. I'm on radio and TV and stuff. I'll give them two or three weeks notice. How about 16.5? That was my first negotiating. <laughs> I got the 500. Old. <laughs> uh, and, um, and so I came in to observe October 1st. And you'll love this. I come in October 2nd. And I go, well, where's Wayne? Oh, no, he just did one show so you could see how it's done. You're on tonight. And so put me in, coach. You know, I got to play center field. I was on October 2nd, 1979. I don't think those tapes exist. Thank God. And I know the Emmy committee never got it. But here we are in, you know, 2022. And... They haven't been smart enough to get rid of me yet. And and so, but that's how it was. I was in there the first month. There were about mm, 40, 50 of us then in all jobs, Kenny. Not only just to get on the air, but whatever it was. And, you know, there's a bond with those. And look, you were with us. You've been with us long enough. I know I'm fast forwarding and then I'll be quiet. But anyone that's, that was with us, and I know you're not there now, and I hope you feel good about it, and I don't, but et cetera, um, the fact that you're not, but you're always one of us. Anyone that was with us, well, 79, 80s, 90s, early 2000s, not to say anything wrong about anyone else, but there will be a bond forever and that we built something pretty good. And I just happened to be there on the ground floor. I was lucky and I guess didn't screw it up. Is that that was the five minute answer? 16 5. 16 5. My first TV job was at 82. And the first thing I was supposed to do, this is after graduating at UNLV, after failing the physical with the Seahawks, because Sam King, who played ahead of me, turned down a deal and they said, what the hell he can throw. And, and so I got a TV job literally. Five days later, I look in the paper. This is when you used to find jobs in the newspaper. And Channel 11 in Seattle, KST Washington, an hour ahead of the rest. Also, there's no news on the weekends. If there's news on the weekends, it's news to us. That was our other motto. And my first job was $6.55 an hour in 1982, just out of college. And, and I came in and I ripped the papers apart, the, the script paper. There were five colors, right? There was white pink, green, yellow, uh, orange, whatever, director gets one, producer gets one, anchor gets one, other anchor gets one, teleprompter gets one, right? Right. You Did you not, is this a true story, you, you were still using a manual or maybe an electric typewriter at ESPN up until when? Well, I was the last one. I, I In other words, the final page, the goodbye page of I don't know what year I have somewhere in my office because we had to, Hey, within the next six months, you got to learn how to use the computer. I mean, we're going way back. And I went, well, let me just keep, I'll learn it in time for football. Yeah, yeah. And then it got to be the end of August, and you know. So I said, well, let me do my final sports center on this typewriter, an electric typewriter with the big capital letters. I have that page somewhat very safe. Back to the early pay. So when I was on TV in Hartford, 
only Saturday 11 and Sunday 11 news. We didn't have it at six. So you were part-time along with the weather guy, right? So my pay, Hartford now, on the air, $23 a show. So you wondered why I jumped at 16.5? Savvy. Uh, okay. Savvy. Here, here's the part I love about this story, and I think I knew this going in, but you're revealing even more. As good as you were, and you say you were terrible at the start, but you, you quickly got pretty good because you got noticed very quickly. You were just making it up. There there was no foundation. There was no, this is how you do Sports Center. You guys made it up on the fly. We were Lewis and Clark. Um, <laughs> If, if, to put it back into a Pacific Northwest mode. Um, there were seven of us uh, original, late 79, early 80s, or in the 80s. Uh, Bob Lee being one of us. Um, the late, great Tom Meese being one of us, my great friend. Uh, Lee Leonard and George Grand. Greg Wyatt and Bob Waller. All right, those are the seven names of the original, well, we were Mercury astronauts. That's a better. Uh, <laughs> now we went up, but we sure as hell didn't know when or how we were coming down. We just hoped to hit the ocean, you know, to date ourselves. And I, we really, because if you think about it, Kenny, you mentioned Walter Cronkite. Well, he did a half hour for all the news, like in the world. Right. And we all sat there. Well, we're doing a half an hour of sports. Like you guys got enough to do. Remember, very few things were on TV. Well, not very few, but, for example, in the early 80s, most local teams, I can't speak for New York, maybe, but you get the point. They weren't on TV every night. Certainly the Kansas City Royals and the Seattle Mariners, et cetera. Score only. So half the games were never seen. You guys got enough to do this? Yeah, what the hell? It's sports. Let's go. And that's kind of how we started, to your point. Well, you certainly mastered this certain technique. We're going to get in the in the weeds. But this is instructive for any sportscasters out there who don't know this. We're just going to give away the store here. I feel like in Seattle – they oh, by the way, about three years deep, we added weekend shows in Seattle, and Jack Eddie, the news director, is like, you played football, you're doing sports on the weekends. And I quick – and I really didn't want to. I wanted to be on Frontline at this point or and doing documentary. Ken Burns, that's my model. Yeah. But Seattle sports, Mariners, Griffey's there, going to Seahawks games, you know, the Largent era. I mean, there was some pretty cool stuff going on, and that became more fun than city council meetings, and then I shifted my emphasis. So I was using a technique that I thought I had just kind of made up when I did highlights. A lot of people still try to type out – First inning, Ken Griffey's the batter. He hits his 13th home run. Mariners lead 2 nothing, And they hope it times out as they read those words to the highlight that's got. I was using kind of bullet points that would I'd freestyle from the bullet point notes. Then I come to learn when I go for my tryout in 1989 at ESPN, they have this thing called a shot sheet. So just quick review. The, there's three columns. The left one is situation, first inning, Mariners to bat. Action, Ken Griffey hits home run number 30. He just got a bunch of home runs in the in the two stars. And the result, Mariners lead 4 nothing, or or to that effect. You guys were using that. How did it come to be, and how did you get so good at it? Well, to your point, it's kind of, I mean, with the, the shot sheet kind of evolved. I don't know that anyone ever said, this is how you do it. 
I know that too much writing is bad for us because we, um, but they, you know, half the stuff would come running in one minute before like broadcast news. Uh, even if the game was over for two hours, you know, we didn't have, as you know, you know, we had one person doing the work of four, right? And still in some ways, dude, it, it's not like that anymore, but comparatively it is. So, you know, sometimes they'd come running in with all, with three different baseball games in the commercial. You wouldn't even have a chance to look at it. But so this is me. I'm not so smart to say this is how I'm doing highlights. Look, we all were ourselves on TV. And certainly if you're on every night, you better be or they're going to see through that. If you're on once a week, you could change your voice and beat it. Not on every night. They see through that. So if yourself isn't good enough, then you're not good enough. Second, I, you know, we grab, it's ourself, but we grab a little here, a little here, a little here. This person does that. Mm, I don't like that, but I do like that they do. Then it's our style. For me, doing highlights was if you give me the bullet points to your point, shot sheet slash Kenny Main Seattle bullet points, um, I'm going to do it like it's live. So I'm not going to say Junior Griffey, and he's going to hit a double off the wall. I, I just lowered. He'll be annoyed, but he got a double, not a whole lot. I'm playing with you. He's a friend of all of ours. But when it hits the wall, then say it. And here's a double off the wall. You know, and then and one run's going to try not to get ahead because certainly in those days – and I still feel it's the right way to do it now, even though you could look up anything on the phone, but you're not going to get a two-minute highlight of the Mariners Royals, right? You're not sitting there on the phone for it. Do it because they haven't seen it. So do it together, like we're at the game together. Yeah. And I, I don't want to say I was that smart, like I wrote, okay, this is how you're going to do highlights. But it quickly became apparent to me that that's the way I should do it. Maybe not everyone, because I can get excited in this, but, you know, and one run will score in the play at the please out. Like, do it as they're seeing it. So that was the morph of the bullet point into how I do highlights. And I'm not alone. I, I'm, I'm okay at them. I'm pretty good at them. But I, I think that's the key for any young sportscaster who might be listening to our, our podcast here. Like, do it like it's live. Even if we know the result of the game, because it's 2022, and might have seen the long home run, do it like it's live, because anybody tuning in still, and I don't do sports center anymore, obviously, they want the whole, like NFL primetime, for example, right? Which I would see you on the Sunday nights in there. ESPN Plus, thank goodness we're doing it again with Booger, starring as Tom Jackson. Um, uh, two great guys, obviously. Tommy, one of my best friends. Believe me, we'll, we'll get to TJ. No, no, but, but Kenny, um, I still believe there is a need and a want for, okay, I know pretty much what happened in football, for example. Give me the meal. Give me the appetizer. Give me the main course. Give me the dessert. Give me the espresso. I, you know, if I want to fast forward right to the main course, okay, fine. Yeah. Give me the meal. No, you, you led me to – to the follow-up question today, because you referenced how the information age now, everybody's got iPhones, everybody knows the results. Uh, it's not a mystery in the old days who the hell won 
Twins, White Sox. No idea. Only the people in those two towns heard it on radio or maybe TV. And here's ESPN presenting for the very first time to the whole nation, Twins, White Sox, if that mattered. And you're like, oh, my God, they got Twins, White Sox. Berman's calling the highlight. Now they already know the result. However, I still argue, you in particular, a whole bunch of other good callers, they want to hear your description of it. You're going to do it different than even the play-by-play or the local. No offense to any of them, but... You're going to give me the Chris Berman version of this thing, and that's still relevant in 2022, just as it was in 1979. You brought up Primetime and TJ, Tom Jackson, and I always admired the affection you guys had and still have for each other like it was a real brotherhood it wasn't just a good show but just the way you treated each other and that made that show so much better i called bill fairweather your friend who used to produce that show back in the day and wanted to give me a couple background stories and he told me the very first time he said the show's built you know he's done sports centers he's never done this thing with chris berman and he feels the show's in good shape. And about 40 minutes before the show, you got into, I wouldn't call it a panic, but you got into, like, where the hell's this shot sheet? How come this isn't here? What's going on? And he started freaking out. He's like, oh, my God, I'm going to get one shot at this, and they're going to replace me. But it was just the way you sort of amped up for the show in a certain manic way. Did you always do that? Well, I didn't yell at anybody. I mean, maybe no. He didn't accuse you of being mean. mean. No, 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 no. But I, I ran. <laughs> Nobody cut it closer in getting to the studio than me. That's a fact. Where's the, yeah, that is a fact. There, there, if that man, I left three of the shot sheets on my desk on the way down to the studio, which, as you know, was a building or two over. Well, I'm sorry to interrupt, but that, that people don't know the layout. I was going to actually mention that in the order. There used to be like a building and a half and a trailer and, and you had Millie at the front desk and the and that was it. And and there was no cafeteria. Was, they brought in like the the junior high lunch servers once a day. And there was a couple of vending machines. And it was a whole different world than what it is today with 75 buildings and worldwide, you know, I don't know what the hell I was talking about there. But, oh, I know you had to walk easily a quarter mile, maybe longer, right, to get from one place all the way down to the studio. And you were coming in hot, throwing your mic, tie disheveled. 30 seconds from air and he said and then he go and welcome to prime time. he said as soon as he said welcome to prime time i'm like oh he, he we'll be okay well i have a couple funny stories on on the getting to the studio well sports center had a life team, but we had 30 second theme that was it and i came in a couple of times tommy's sitting there kind of looking around early on you know with the music on so i got under 30 seconds and i got in there one time as it was finished i sat down and the clip mic which we used i hadn't even had time to put on yet and i held it like it was the stick mic right (laughs) and tommy's losing it he's laughing as tommy always did and can and his his laughter is infectious as you know um and i went instead of saying welcome no i think i said welcome to prime time if people only knew and then in the first game is whatever, the Giants and the Eagles, and here we go. And and we'll be back after this. And I put the thing on like 10 minutes into the show. It was <laughs> it was a classic. It worked, though. It always – and the other thing Bill said in high compliment to you is it didn't matter what show, 
what highlight kind of reminds me of what people say about Springsteen. Every song Springsteen sings seems like the most important song he'll ever sing. And it was kind of like that with you. It didn't matter garbage game, two, five, and seven teams or the top teams. You gave the enthusiasm and you still do every highlight. Well, it was pro football. And for most of the run of, of NFL primetime, as you know, the country got three games wherever you lived. And there was no direct TV. There was no none of that, obviously. No red zone. I mean, red zone's just inside the 20 anyway. But um, the one time, the game of the day, to your point, I don't even know if they're both five and seven, was, and you know, 3% of the country saw it, maybe six, but you get my point, was either, I think it was Seattle at Arizona at Sun Devil Stadium, okay? Hot. Teams weren't very good. I don't couldn't remember the year. It was like 45-42, right? It was the game of the year. So why not do it like it's the most important game? Because it was the most fun, sure, especially sure. since 6% of the country saw it, right? That's the beautiful thing about any sporting thing. We had so many no-hitters last a year ago, right, as I was leaving, all these no-hitters every night. It was so fun that this guy, I don't know if I've ever heard of him. He just threw a no-hitter, but you celebrate that moment. I don't want to go past this because I started to mention it. Tom Jackson, explain your affection for him. Well, oddly enough, Kenny, I had never met Tom during his outstanding almost 200-game career with the Denver Broncos and linebacker tiny Tom Jackson with the Orange Crush. I always liked and respected that defense, as we all did, because they, they really didn't have a lot of offense until Elway came at the end of Tommy's career. Uh, even though they made they made a Super Bowl and played, they turned it over seven or eight times and gave up under 30 to Dallas. So if you wondered how good that defense was, then there they were. But at any rate, we just clicked. He was the seventh of seven to audition for that job. He had just retired at the end of 86. Actually, the Super Bowl, they lost to the Giants. He was hurt in the game and on the sideline in civvies, the second half. And I looked down from the stands going, Tom Jackson, this is how his career is going to end. Little did I know that come next September, after him acing by being himself, the tryout, if you will, um, we quit. Look, I total admiration for him as a player. He is one of the most genuine. Um, I quickly realized we laughed at the same things. We listened to the same music. You wouldn't think so, but we did. We quickly found that out. We're within, he's four years older, I think, four than me. But, you know, essentially the same. He graduated college 73. I graduated 77. It's really the same. And I think he had some admiration or more like bewilderment at me and <laughs> on TV. And I certainly had admiration for him. And here's what years later, I realize it's a long answer, but I mean, it's Tom, it's Tom Jackson. Um, well, I realize he's become, we talk every week still, uh, one of my best friends, uh, we, you know, saw each other married to have, well, he didn't, uh, I was married to Kathy while he was still playing, but knew knew each other's kids. I mean, I could go, you get what that is. and, And I was at his wedding with Jen. And um, et cetera, et cetera. 
What I like in retrospect the most about it, I never thought of this in the first eight, 10 years doing it, I don't think. White, black, New England, Ivy, Cleveland, etc. cetera. Uh, football player, broadcaster, uh, none of that mattered. We're friends. He completed my sentences. I completed his. Mm-hmm. He likes to laugh. He loved football. I like to laugh. We love football. So what's the big deal? Easy friendship. And it, 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 there was a lot more to it than just two guys doing it as, as I go on. The players loved it, but I think it's because it, 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 to them a little bit was like, maybe like a locker room. You know what I mean? Like yeah, different backgrounds doing one thing. You, you buy that? 100%. I mean, I would, if I had to describe, I'd say his voice matches his character and his sweetness, right? Like if you like his voice, like. Very good. Very good. He's, and, and you would never guess, here's this ferocious linebacker with the sweet sweetness that he is. He really yeah. is. He he played at Denver with a, a guy that I followed growing up, Bernard Jackson, another Jackson, who was a running back at Washington State, who went up as a running back against Bobby Moore then, becomes Ahmad Rashad out of Tacoma, Washington. So um, your affection. Anybody okay. named Jackson in a highlight? Like Bernard Jackson, it was always Tom. Your second cousin had a good run, like he and he laughed every time. Now, I don't know that he didn't. He wasn't told to be Ed McMahon to Johnny Carson, but, <laughs> but it, whatever. It, it well, another Jackson, Michael Jackson, the receiver, and every time he would do the Michael Jackson imitation, which I don't do. He he, right every time. Yep, because I'd yeah. play out. He'd know. <laughs> And the pass is complete to Michael Jackson. I'd lay out, I'd look at him, and he he delivered every time. I mean, we we had a lot of routines, but you could do it under highlights. You weren't trying to do it because, hey, look at us. We're smarter than everyone. No. You ever try to do that? You screw it up. You know that. Well, another thing Fairweather brought up, last Fairweather mentioned, by the way, free shout-out. We love him. You guys would watch these games together before you'd go to the studio. You, of course, coming in with one minute to spare. And you'd sort of workshop. Just like that's how I always describe this is why good sportscasting is good. It's not scornful. It's more celebrating the good. Like, go ahead, give people criticism if they need it. But not the the kind that's so negative, that's so prevalent today. But watch games together and say funny things to your buddy sitting on the couch and then use that on TV a half hour later, right? Like you guys workshopped it, so to speak. Right. As you did, you know, with sports centers. But football was just more in that war room with the eight games on the little originally Sony Trinitrons, you know. Um, And um, uh, Sony Michelle, I call him Sony Trinitron Michelle, and nobody gets it. (laughs) Uh, All right. I'm talking to us, you know. But – yeah, not that it was filthy in the room anyway, but, you know, cleaned up a tad for TV, sure. but not, not to your point. Genuine. When someone needed to be called out, you know, you'd see them later and nine times out of ten, an athlete, because we'd be out on the road a lot, but hey, that was very fair. You know what I mean? Or yeah, I mean, there's a big, I think there's a big difference in so-and-so drops the pass for the they could have won the game and a terrible mistake he's going to want that one back there's one way to say it 
as opposed to vilifying him on talk radio the next morning and running him out of town. Like, people forget that the worst player on an NBA team, the 12th guy, if you went out and at YMCA, like you, the regular, you know, it's it reminds me of there was a poll taken after the last Summer Olympics and something like 43% of American males claim they could play in the Olympics on one of the teams. Like, like just people delude themselves. Like, yeah, I guess I could be a goalie and allow 14 goals, but I, I mean play and, and actually compete. All right, you, you've you given uh, Bob Lee a couple mentions, which I wanted to get to, Tom Meese, the late Tom Meese. Uh, there's just so many, and, and I, I hate doing this because we're going to exclude other people, people we've lost in particular. Dennis Sidori, my first director, just a great man, just a sweet guy that we lost a long time ago. He did. He directed my very first show on ESPN2, and I jumped the gun. I talked before I was supposed to because they had this little five-second music thing, and then they come to me, and he just gets some air and goes, rookie. And he made me – I just fell apart laughing, knowing I'd screwed up, but yet I hadn't because nobody saw the mistake. Those are the kind of people I love going through. And, again, I don't mean to do this to exclude anyone. Tom Meese, as an example, I only got to work with him a few times on remotes, but he was just such a warm, smart guy. He passed away while my sons were in the hospital in Maine. You were so good to me then. We lost twin sons in 1996. And and, and Tom Meese passed away that summer. Yeah, I remember distinctly, obviously. He and I, um, and Dennis uh, was at Channel 30 in Hartford with me, so Mm. we were the there were like two or three of us that came over from there to ESPN. So we, he was a wonderful person and that would have been him rookie, you know, uh, Tommy, Tommy and I ended up being the junior member. Once they went to a two person and that was pretty quickly, uh, two 30 AM Eastern show, uh, which then a couple of years in, as you remember, started repeating in the morning because it was the morning paper. Right. It was on six to seven, seven to eight, eight to nine Eastern. Oh, here are all the Dodger Giant highlights, et et cetera, that we wouldn't have even read in the paper. So. So Tommy and I ended up doing. Four or five nights a week together, which back then, then morphed into eleven thirty and two thirty. You know, you're sometimes doing eight, ten shows a week with him. And I he was excitable like me, excitable boy, Warren Zevon and. Um, I always said, if I had the first highlighter, he, but let's just say I did for, you know, the two shot, how's it going? Blah, blah, blah. What a great night in baseball. Here you go. And then you turn and you give a lead into whatever it is. Uh, uh, you know, Red Sox, Oreo, it doesn't matter. And you do it. And if I was rusty, which is the Greyhound racing, the thing, you know, that, that, that the Greyhounds chase, he'd be the Greyhound. Chasing it on the next light. And we, we did shows that way. Um, yeah, I miss him. My God, I can't believe it. it it's that long. To, but to your yeah. point, um, you know, 25, 26 years. It, it's uh, and another guy I do want to mention. Not to time, but John Saunders, of course. Oh, uh, yeah. We're going to do it. I mean, we could go on. There's a lot. Yeah, what about Wood? One of the first black directors, Network TV? We could. Calvin A. Wood, um, that's another one. <laughs> We'd be doing a highlight sight unseen with somebody on the Mariners that did something we never heard of. And I'd get in my ear as would you, who from Calvin, right? Like, <laughs> you know, 
Joe Bugio just hit it. Woo! And and uh, or some obscure golfer. It didn't matter. Tennis oh. tournament it didn't matter. Make you laugh. Make you looser. Right? Make you looser. That's who you want in your ear is somebody who's making you more comfortable, making you giggle, then you export that to the audience. Well, John Saunders was, and I, I thought of him, I texted his brother the other night when Toronto, with Tom, uh, John was really a Toronto in Hamilton. He was born with Maple Leafs, and they're in their seventh game against Tampa Bay as we taped this just the other night. And it's the Toronto Maple Leafs, you know, it's like a big deal. And Every time they'd be playing in April, and they often wouldn't go very far, um, I could hear his voice, and I texted his brother, Bernie, who played in the NHL. I'm hearing John tonight. All we are saying is give Leafs a chance. That, I love that. That's what he would say. Every, every April when they invariably would bow out early uh, in the playoffs, I, I thought of John just the other night. I think of him a lot. We, and we're lucky to be sitting here doing this. I don't mean to be maudlin, but you know that you, yeah, yeah. you've well, experienced, well. brought it up, and I've experienced, and and a lot of people have experienced, even if there is such a thing. Worse, so um, yeah. life. If you live long enough, a lot of it's not a not a layup. This has been. I hope people take it as authentic. You're same guy that I would see in the hall doing this interview, like you say, be that person and. I wanted to ask you this before to clear it with you, but your wife, we've mentioned these people we've lost in our lives at ESPN, heavy personal loss in your own family. How, how have you changed since then? Well, it's five years ago, which with COVID, which has nothing to do with Kathy's mm -hmm. passing in a, in a car accident on a May 9th, uh, 2017. On a road she'd driven three, four, five hundred times right near where she grew up uh, here in Connecticut. Um, how have I changed? Well, the only thing I'll say, and, and you with your kids and, you know, that experience, you were much younger. But so already, so let's see, uh, in, in 2017, I was, what, 62? So, um, or I should say, about to be the next day, I might add. Um, I had often wondered how we were pretty much lucky. You know, she had had a stroke 10 years earlier, but she had nothing to do with this. And I had many surgeries, but none of them cancer, heart, lung. I mean, we could go on. Mechanical parts is totally different, as you know, than those. And I wonder how, and I don't mean to use this term this way, but I think militaristically, like how the bullets, why they never hit us, really. And of course, then they did. And... Not that you thought you were never you were you were impervious to any of it, Kenny, because this is an interesting question you asked. Um, but okay, so now you see a lot of folks go through every day. Not that you needed that to wake you up, right? Um, I don't want to say I appreciate. I, I think that's true. Um, I appreciate her little the little things. More than, of course, we're all so busy with our life, right? 
we didn't have a chance to think little things more than the big things of what she meant. Like, for example, um, I plant a garden, vegetable garden for her every May 9th. It doesn't make me any hero, but it, it's not something I ever did. But it's something I have to do. I feel good doing it. I spend time doing it and flowers around the house in early, you know, early May in New England. It's a good time to get things going anyway. And I don't even care if it's pouring rain that day. I'm doing it on that day. And that was a, li a little thing. It's the least I can do to keep her with us. So have yeah, I changed? Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I like to think antenna up maybe more. Um, I don't know that I've, I've lived life really too differently, but maybe a little bit deeper thinker. Mm -hmm. And I know when you lose children, I, I can't imagine it. Um, um, I don't know the deeper thinker would, I would, I would think so if you look back, but it's a long way back for you. I'm sure you have an interesting answer yourself. Well, I was going to ask you and I can give my answer to, to kind of preface it. I remember, so, so we lost Creighton at birth and Connor lived for six months. So ESPN was very good to me. Vince Doria, my media boss, you take whatever time you need. Like you work, don't work. Nobody's going to judge you. So after he passed in, in November of 96, I, I took some more time. Other people were filling in my slots. And it, and it, the whole thing was like, how do I ever go back on TV and do it the way I do it? And, you know, have the jokes of every highlight. And it, how can anything ever be funny again, I guess, was the question. And then it, I don't know how it hit me, but it was more like, do you think he wants you to be miserable the rest of your life? Are you right? The way to honor them is to keep living your life. Remember them as well as you can and, and honor them, but keep being you and, and don't change and be a lesser person so I, I just wanted the same thing were you like man how do I go back out or or did going back out make you feel better because it was that comfort thing that you knew well we we take a little time and I by that point my semi-retirement was going to begin the next day on my birthday May 10th the way it worked out but that neither to there um but you're correct. That doesn't mean that you come whenever you were able to get back on the air. And I remember it pretty clearly. You know, um, we all felt felt for you guys. I mean, felt that's not the right word, but you know, we we were family. Um, and not that we're going to go this direction, but I haven't said it often. I was buoyed by a week later. We had a, 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 a remembrance um, and just the ESPN part, there might've been seven, 800 people there. I mean, you know, Kathy, the same community she grew up in, et cetera, there are plenty, but there were over 200, 250, some people I hadn't, hadn't been in the building for 20, 25 years that, you know, that, that hits me to this day. I'm almost getting teary thinking about it. I mean, they were there. <sighs> hey, you've been our quarterback, and I, I don't mean to say it in a, you know, this way, but uh, our quarterback needs some help, and so we're coming back. So mm. it's different than the question you asked me, and I no. don't speak about that very often, but I, I will never forget. I didn't look up until I had to speak, which was last. I went and I sat down. I had my back, and my our kids spoke, and her Kathy's friend spoke, and 
uh, her cousin spoke, uh, and and I got and I looked and I it was a choke and there were like eight hundred people and I purposely couldn't look until I got up there and I I won't forget that the ESPN family was real. So in that way, you you recognize right then and there, you better appreciate these long-term friendships that you have. Not when the shoe's on the other foot, but while you have them. Maybe right, that right. maybe that drove it home for the wrong reason uh, a little more than, than I expected. Uh, my first night back, I'm out there with Stuart Scott, God rest, and the first son, the, the first son who passed away is named Creighton, right? And this is not, this is like, you know, like couldn't have been scripted any different. I'm out there doing the show with Stuart. We're having a regular show. I'm nervous because, you know, but it starts feeling good. Stuart's making me comfortable. Middle of the show, Creighton University, Blue Jays, right? Blue Jays? They win on some ridiculous, you know, half court, whatever. Some insane finish to their game. PA comes running in the, the room during commercial break. You're doing this highlight. This game just ended. It's crazy. And here I am calling Creighton winning in this remarkable way. And it didn't make me sad. It made me happy, like, to mention the names and to bring them back. And I had everybody – I remember Stuart signed the shot sheet and, and the, whoever cut it signed – you know. Yeah, I'll always remember that moment. Uh, as we build out a very crowded Mount Rushmore of ESPN – we're leaving out, you know, Charlie Steiner, Bill Patrick, Dan Patrick, on and on and on. we we got to stop somewhere, right? Um, Keith Olbermann and you – Worked together in radio before you got to ESPN, but you knew each other even before that in high school. Do I have this right? Right. So Keith, <laughs> Keith, I mean, my goodness, what a talented, you know, broadcaster. I mean, he he certainly says what he thinks. Uh, but Keith was two years behind me at Hackley School in Terrytown, New York. I want to. He was in my brother's class, who's two years younger than me, obviously. Um, so I want to say Keith came in ninth grade and I was 11th grade. Um, so I knew Keith two years on the hilltop, as we would say. And we had this little radio station, believe it or not, Kenny, in, in high school, right? And, of course, we had the weekly paper, the Hackley Dial. But it, nobody cares, except if you went to Hackley. But we were the Hornets, by the way. Uh, but we were black and gray, but Hornets. Like I, I don't get it, but whatever. Um, uh, but... Um, so Keith and I combined on, I mean, the radio station, we had some borders left over from an earlier time at the school. And so the signal was on campus only. And But we would, he taped the hockey games, you know, on a cassette recorder, we'd play it the next day off our cassette. And I would tape the road football games and they would play the next day. I played soccer goalie. I didn't play football. Um, which surprises a lot of people. Or I did the football games live. So we were on the radio station and the newspaper together. And he went on to Cornell, you know, a couple of years after I went to Brown. And then here he was at CNN and I was at ESPN. And so we were in the same concentric circles. And then he came uh, to us and, and certainly made a mark. I mean, I smile because he's brilliant, obviously. Um but I, I, I saw it before anybody. I mean, he, uh, we, we worked together occasionally, but not as much as you'd think. But, you know, we, uh, we had tongue in cheek. You know, he, 
he's a little more is, is acerbic the right word more than yeah. me but uh but I just the, the guy's brilliant no way around it the fact that this ridiculous notion of starting a cable channel in 1979 all sports and two guys who were in the same high school who did a radio show I mean, this is like Sandberg, Rippon, and uh, Stockton all growing up near each other in Spokane, right? I mean, and look what they all – and you know, I think it's pretty astounding. It's hard to believe. Um, and I applaud him for the places he's been in his career. I, I know he may have had some rough moments on the way out a few doors, but he's made a mark wherever he's gone. And so, yeah, what are the odds, right? You – mentioned being a soccer goalie but your love your love now and it has been for quite a while for athletics is golf you love being you're at those tournaments you love the game uh, have you gotten any good have you have you improved i'm i'm okay you know 87 you know 86 you know a handicap 14 ish it's okay uh, but i like it i like being because you know what to fast forward to that and of course then eventually we'll get the football which even though I didn't play it, it's been in my blood since we went to Joe Namath and the Jets uh, starting in elementary school. So I, you know, there's my, I'm an AFL guy and I saw it all. Um, but golf, it allows us to be, and, you know, I'm kind of nearing the end of it, upper 60s now. In these pro-ams every now and then, and you're around the guys in their 20s and 30s, you stay current a little bit with a sport that you you're between the ropes with these guys for, you know, you're hacking it up, but I, I like that. And, and, and professionally, I love being able to be at all these 30, 30 plus U S opens and call some of them. And for sure, uh, but the, you know, golf is fun. I guess I, I got to live a long time to shoot my age, Kenny. That's, that's the bottom line. I, I got a long way to go. All right. Whoa. So, the handful of times I've gotten to be in some of those pro-ams you're speaking of, I got to do it with Fred Couples once at the Hartford, and I'm very average. If I got an 87, I'd, I'd be putting it in the paper. I'm, I'm, I can go 87 to 105. That's my range. I'm playing with once at this little uh, place in West Hartford, um, Rockledge, and I get my first eagle ever, two bombs. I'm on the edge of the green. I sink like an amazing... And John Buchagross, very good golfer, he looked at me and says, that eagle is in your soul forever. And he meant it. He, he was being philosophical. And he's right. When you do anything, you experience any cool thing, like you just were giving these great stories, like good and bad, it's, it's always there. Yeah, they put me with Bill Murray the first time I've ever played um, at the Pro-Am. Well... Bill was unbelievably helpful and great and really a good golfer, okay? But the point is there were 3,000 people on every shot. So we were doing pretty well. I won't tell the whole story, but we're on 18 and huge. <laughs> I mean, they're waiting for Bill Murray to come in on 18 and do what he does, right? And all I said on the tee, and you respect this, is look, you've waited all your life. Don't hit this in the water. So I, I hit a three wood, so I wouldn't. I hit it way right on purpose. I had a pretty good lie. Then I hit a five wood. Then I hit a seven wood. Okay. <laughs> Into the sun, I can't really see it, and I hear a big roar. It's 10 feet. I'm there in three. It's a par five. 
So now I mark the ball and I'm inside everybody. Well, now here's Bill, the woman in the trap, you know, uh, running around. He's great doing his thing. I'm staring at this putt for 15 minutes, okay? Like, okay, it's about 10, 12 feet. You think it's slightly left, slightly right. And then, then I put the ball down. And you talk about dead silence. Dead silence. There were 10,000 people screaming. I can't move. Kenny, I, I can't. It's the Tin Man. I, I did nothing. The I don't know what possessed me. I turned around to the crowd and I do one of these because Bill had him doing this while he was hitting all the yeah. shots like we want to hit type of cheer, you know? And they started doing it and I made the putt somehow. And it was a birdie for Eagle on 18 at Pebble nice. Beach. That's in your soul. That's in my soul. Next day I had an eight, I might add. So sure. just That's when you think you're good, soul. you're not. <laughs> sorry, uh, to take, sorry to take so long. I, it was, I feel better it was telling working. that the time I dropped somebody. I got two more. I actually have about 20 more, but I've been instructed that people won't stay for much more than an hour. It's just, it's a new rule. I've noticed this on Twitter. Sometimes I put a little, I did a miniature golf series. I'll send it to you if you haven't seen it. And the one that ran a minute five, I'm commentating as four-year-olds are playing miniature golf. I did this last June. The one that was like a minute five, minute 10, got three million impressions. But if I went up to two minutes, it would do nowhere near that because people are just too impatient. Hopefully people who listen to podcasts will stay for all of Chris Berman's stories. You've referenced it a couple of times. It just, you just spilled it out. It's just in your nature about the nicknames. You, you, you dropped a couple throughout this. I was always remember the main. You gave me that one. That's uh, you got to look up some history for that one. How did you come about this? Did you ever just make them up in the moment, or did you usually come out to the set and they were either written or in your bag or in your head? Just give me give me the story on the nicknames. Uh, go back to, well, my days at Brown, I would think, where I was also a camp counselor. We'd nickname the little kids in the bunk. But the way you followed baseball in the mid-'70s, other than – you know, maybe I mean, we went to school in Rhode Island at Brown, so the Red Sox were on TV, but you'd get the paper and you'd look at the box scores, as you know. And I'd look at these box scores. I keep bringing the Mariners up because I'm bringing it home to you, but these faraway teams, the Houston Astros or whatever, right? And I'd look at the last name and read the story where they had the first name too. And I don't know, a couple of them popped in our head. Obviously, we were drinking Perrier at the time. So um, everything was on the up. And now fast forward to 1980, my first season, baseball season on ESPN. And you're out there either alone or with Tommy Mees. And one of the ones from Brown, and I, I've said this before because I, I, I don't know, I didn't do it on purpose, either Frank Tanana Dackery or John Mayberry RFD. One of those two came out, you know, like came out and I got in my ear, what, you know, from the producer in our earpiece, I, what, what, what did you just do? You didn't, my point is I never meant to be famous by doing it. Although I always thought it was fun among our friends who were really into baseball because Babe Ruth say, Hey kid, splendid splitter. I mean, it goes, you know, it goes back 
forever, obviously. Jolt and Joe. I mean, we could go on, right? The Iron Horse. I mean, this is part of baseball lore two, two uh, generations before us. And I, I drove home and, you know, the next day, I went, you know, that was okay. If another one of those comes up from where you had one from before, go with it. Again, I mean, the next night I might have used one different one. It could have been one of your old second baseman there. Julio, won't you let me take you on a sea cruise? I, I, I don't, from the Mariners, I, I don't know. It was better when the teams were not known also. It, it gave an identity to, but I realized, Kenny, that back to games weren't on TV, a lot of them, in the 80s, early 80s, Seattle 5, Kansas City 2, and that stayed there for a minute. Or maybe it popped back on camera because how many times can you read win, Maine, lose, Berman, save, you know, the, the Bob Lee. It, there it is. And so I realized it was adding a little uh, flair to, but it didn't take more time to do it. I wasn't robbing information. It's a one word or two word add on that might make you chuckle. None of them are derogatory. I was going to say they were usually positive or just a, a silly play on the name. I assume you'd run across these people at all-star events or whatever. And do they come up and thank you for blessing them with this? And were there others? Hey, when give me one. I got, you know, I have a good name. You know, did you ever get that? I got them all, but most everyone was say thanks. You know, we, we talk about it in the locker room. I was actually amazed uh, about it. Um, but it, it seemed to fit with baseball and it seemed to fit with ESPN and it seemed to be, we were your, your station, you know, and this is how we're doing it. And the names, you know, it's a game that as my one time partner, Jerry Rolls Royce told me, don't you understand? It's a game. Everyone can play. Like if, if the, the, the best one, maybe Bert be home by 11. Right. But, but you don't have to know that he pitches for Pittsburgh or Minnesota or pick the team. You don't have to know that he's a pitcher. You don't have to know that he has one of the great curveballs of all time. You don't have to know that he won almost 300 games. You know that as a kid, you heard it, and as a parent, you've said it. Or it might be a fool, you know, George Taco Bell, or it might be a movie. But, okay, that's funny. I think it gave more humanity to your subject, right? It it made him, him or her more relatable. I mean, it was an accident that worked. Yeah. You're in my career. Accidents that worked. <laughs> Let's end with two of your loves. You can tell us which you love more. Probably equal, I'm guessing. Music and Hawaii. Well, music goes back farther, obviously. Um, and when you're born in 1955... Again, I wasn't listening to Bill Haley and the Comets or Chuck Berry right out of the, you know, in nursery school, but I listened to them soon enough. But I mean, when you're nine, here are the Beatles. And when you're 10, you're the Rolling Stones. That's a, that's a pretty strong blueprint for the all of music that would follow in that, in that rock genre. Before I get to the Hawaii, so you're 64 and 65, you're nine and 10, here are the Beatles and the Stones and everything else. And by the way, I was a huge Chuck Berry fan, as both those groups were. Right. To mention Little Richard. Like, so I really was at the beginning of 
rock and roll, you know, and, and it was our internet, Kenny. Um, I didn't listen to what you listened to, to with you, but you were listening to stairway to heaven. And so was I, wherever I was growing up like that, we meet, we don't know each other. We could talk about that song. Oh, right. hundred percent. We, we had a gigantic console stereo in the corner of the living room. There was a lamp in the corner on top on the left side and we played actual albums 45s or 33s and my entrance into music because i was a little younger i was you know six seven years old my sisters were you know three and four and five years older we had the beatles james taylor carol king and stevie wonder jackson five right in there as well so i i feel the same way i had the blueprints for all good music I think the, also, by the way, the lamp I mentioned, this you were mentioning earlier how the games weren't always on TV. The Sonics would be on the radio, Bob Blackburn on the mic, and I would listen to them call the game, Bob Blackburn describing the Sonics at the Knicks or whatever it was, and then I would recreate whatever he just said with a Nerf ball into my mom's lamp. If the Nerf ball was lost, I'd use a sock. So here we are with the music imprint at the same time as youngsters, the sports imprint, Seven years old, 1962, Willie Mays is in the World Series. I'm ready for the Giants. I still do. They're my number one team of all, and I love baseball to this day, as you know. Football, nine years old. Uh, we got season tickets the first year. Uh, they were the Jets. My dad took the nine-year-old Chris, seven-year-old Andy to Shea Stadium. I think the, seat, the tickets were eight bucks. Um, and 1965, when I was 10, they signed a guy named Joe Namath. And this was the AFL, and it was the 60s. And in eighth grade, they won the Super Bowl. And and I watched these games from the upper deck. By the way, not to interrupt, but I am. I went to Joe Namath football camp going into my senior year of high school. My dad worked for the airlines. Camden, Connecticut? It was in Massachusetts that year. I could fly for $6 across the country because my dad worked for United. So it was just the cost of the camp, really. And I think I learned more in that one week than I had all before, right? And then I learned more first day at UNLV from Tony Knapp than I had all, right? You keep learning in, in whatever you're into. But, yeah, getting to meet Joe and then working with him a couple times later, you know, getting to work with him all these years later, telling him, hey, I was one of your campers, you know. So, yeah, I was old AFL guy too. Well, they threw the ball. The NFL ran the ball. Plus, we were Rebels, and we won the Super Bowl as an 18-point underdog. So. Sure. Any AFL guy that so that that was deep. So Hawaii obviously never went in those days. Um, then Kathy and I were we engaged then, or we had certainly been living together. Might have gone once before we were married in '83, so I want to say '82, but early '80s. Let's just say I I, I know we went in '82. We weren't married yet, um, and then again '84, and then all the Pro Bowls the end of our season we did the ESPN got the Pro Bowl so that's 87 the kids were one and two and, and, and Kathy's mom would come with us and so it got to be a birthright which we're very lucky to, to well why wouldn't you have a couple weeks off from a very hard season with really preschool or you know kindergarten first second grade before you're really pulling them out of school so it was a family trip as a reward for a job well done I thought and so I was always in February and a good time to get out of Connecticut, as you know, and uh, et cetera. And, and so 
we went every year and the goal one day was to have a home and kind of retire there. I don't know, live 12 months a year there, but whatever retirement meant when you're still working every day, like we did. And home's been there 15 years. Um, you know, it, it's very, very sad that, that um, as I'm still in semi-retirement that we together couldn't follow through because she's not with us. Um, but, um, but the kid, when the house was built, they were in college already or just about finished. But so the love is for those people that have never been there, do it, put it on your list because first of all, it's the United States, even though it's from the East a long way. Okay. You can't go for three days, like a long weekend. You can't do that. You can't from Seattle or San Francisco, et cetera. Second, so what is it about Hawaii? Kenny, the colors and the smells. Oh, right when you land. The colors are not in the 64 Crayola box. They're in the 128 box. And, and the smells, it's just, it's just different. I'm with your endorsement of any of the islands. Uh, I'm also here to endorse everything you did because what you did helped me make a living later at ESPN and, and so many others. And I will say you were worth every penny of that $16,500. And I hope you just keep doing what you want to do, whatever that be. Well, I, I still enjoy doing primetime on Sundays and, and being part of the ESPN family. Listen, you were you, you didn't have me on to, to sing your praises. I'm going to do it anyway. You again were yourself and are yourself. And we could all see that right away. You have your quirks as I have mine. Not to be confused with Jamie Menick quirk. Uh, but um, I knew that would get a laugh out of you. He loved it. George Brett loved it. All those Royals loved those nicknames. Um, and you have a joie de vivre, and it, could, it came right across the air, that even if it's a trier and a different sense of humor than some, it's a sense of humor. You're enjoyable to watch doing SportsCenter and all your other things that you got your hands on because you truly embraced whatever subject it was. We all sometimes report on things. Of course, the early 80s. Yes, I announced darts one time. And other, sure. That's for part two of this when you call me up in six uh, months. Um, we do things that, quote, we don't necessarily sign up for. But in the scheme of things, we embraced it. And if we embraced it on TV, not faking it, really, someone at home will appreciate enthusiasm. You were great at that. And I, I wish you and your family the best. My God, I can't believe how old everybody is. You told me the other day on the phone and can't believe how old we are. But they... <laughs> it goes with the deal. When they get older, we get older. But uh, no, highly appreciated that you came and gave us your time. In fact, I hope they keep it all. Uh, let's, let's violate whatever these rules are. I think people will stay. This is the extended play podcast. It's songs in the key of life, double album, and a 45. You know that, right? Stevie Wonder, 1976, two albums and a 45. He called it a something's extra, which is what this was. Thank you for your time, and uh, I'll see you down the way. I look forward to it. This is the Inagata DeVita version of... Uh of Kenny Mayne. I'm going to quote one song and you will laugh and we'll all leave. 
The Entertainer by Billy Joel, because it applies to what we just did. So let me see if I get the verse right. I am the entertainer and I, I come to do my show. You've heard my latest record. It's been on the radio. It took me years to write it. They were the best years of my life. It was a beautiful song, but it ran too long. If you want to have a hit, you got to make it stick. So we cut it down to 305. Good luck. <laughs> Aloha. That's perfect. Mahalo. Hey, Maine is a production of me, Kenny Maine, and Odyssey. Our senior producer is Paul Aspen. Our executive producer is Jody Avergan. And our executive producer for Odyssey is Lena Glazer. She's a big shot, but she's available. Open door policy with her. Social media support by Joey Capone. Hey, if you like the show, please rate us, leave a review, and don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe is pronounced that way.